Hey everyone, welcome to the Bovada at Odds podcast. This is your place to get the latest odds from Bovada Sportsbook. This is also to find out the latest goings on in sports and what players should be putting their money to. My name is Seth Everett. I'm the host of this fair show, and Patrick Morrow is the head odds maker at Bovada Sportsbook. Patrick, the uh, NCAA Final Four is over. Let's just recap real quick. Um, congratulations go out to Baylor. Baylor was a team we talked about literally all season because we never got a proper read on them. Everyone talked about all the things they had to endure. And I'm not denying that they had to endure a lot. But the reality of it is, is that now you're talking about a team that was probably the best in the country all season long. And because Gonzaga was undefeated, we never looked at it like that. Yeah, and you know what? I think Scott Drew made a really good point when he was, uh, you know, talking about his team and the challenges they faced this year with COVID and shutting it down. When they came back and lost a couple games and were playing as many games as they did and as many nights as they did, they didn't actually practice together in something like a month, which is crazy. That's something that, again, and, you know, this is classic During with college basketball. Season. During a season. And this is kind of classic that as an odds maker in amateur athletics, where there are so many teams to try and keep on top of, uh, you know, outside of COVID stuff, that this was something that I wasn't even aware of, Seth, that a team like this, you know, yeah, they could go out there and with raw athleticism, hang with most teams in the country, if not all of them. But in terms of fundamentals, getting the footwork right. And that was something that against Houston, against Gonzaga, my goodness, did Baylor make it look easy. And don't get me wrong, when threes are dropping like that, it does look uh, maybe a little bit easier than it is. But they were the class in those last two games. Totally mopped the floor with Houston. Gonzaga couldn't hang. Drew Timmy looked uh, just absolutely average in that game. And he's, you know, you talk about footwork, one of the best players there. Uh, congrats to Baylor. Uh, you know, all year we kind of thought they were the 1A to Gonzaga's 1. And who knows if they played again, how many more times uh, Baylor would have got uh, the victory. But with updated efficiency rankings, I think Baylor indeed was the best team this year, unfortunately, not a huge uh, futures payout price because they and Gonzaga were your favorites all year at Bavada. Right. Baylor, I think, started the year around six or seven to one, just trailing Gonzaga. And we've already got next year's futures odds up already. Baylor, uh, you can get 20 to one if you think they can do it again. Gonzaga starts as your uh, 2022 men's basketball tournament champion favorite at seven to one currently right now. Do people bet against favorites because they're favorites? Like, is that take the thrill out of the NCAA tournament? You remember, you know, when I picked the made the picks for a bracket pool, um, I had three number ones. Well, two of them were in the finals, and those were the two I picked. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, we had a great tournament, but that is considered mocked in social circles when it comes to this tournament, unlike every other sport. Right. So there's an interesting strategy at place when uh, trying to build a bracket. I, I think if you're doing, you know, a small group of people, let's say 10 or less, 20 or less, I don't know how many people do, or in my case, two or less, uh, it makes a lot more sense to two take or less. The ch- well, I was just going against Mrs. Morrow. I, That's I was- all it was? That, well, she wanted me to do it, Seth. And I said, well, what the hell? To. I got nothing else I'm not going suggesting on. an open marriage, but my God, you need to see some other people. Listen, you're telling me and, you know, I pray to God that she doesn't listen, but she is a big fan of the show. So that's fine. I will catch grief and we are about nothing if honesty. But yeah, it was a group of two. And wouldn't you believe it? She had Baylor as her final team. I had Gonzaga came down to the last game. 
So from that point of view, I thought I had a really good strategy just picking the best team. If I was in a pool with 20 plus, I, I absolutely would have not taken Gonzaga. You want to opt for more variance. How that translates into people betting, uh, there was certainly a recency bias. I would say all year, uh, Gonzaga was bet the most on the futures odds at Bovada, despite being low odds. However, because of how Baylor just absolutely smashed Houston and because of recency bias in betting in a sport where, uh, you know, the, ca- the casual better still doesn't really know who's good, the players, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that you could get Baylor as an underdog after that game against Houston after Gonzaga needed that banked in three at the buzzer in overtime to beat 11 seed UCLA, that recency bias plays in it. And about 65% of betting on the final four championship was on Baylor in that spot. Uh, we ended up being pretty covered off with futures betting, uh, live betting and other prop betting throughout the game as well. So overall, it didn't really matter to us who won at that point, a team like UCLA, who you could have got 200 to one before the tournament, that would have really hurt us at Bavada. But, uh, you know, it ended up being, you know, two teams that all year should have been there. When two chalk get to the final, it's generally pretty okay for the house. Uh, it's usually the damage they might maybe do along the way. But from a futures point of view, that's generally okay for us. Well, and, and I, you know, you stole the thunder from my question. What are you <laughs> thinking because you and I both watched the UCLA Gonzaga game and so did everybody who's listening to this podcast. <laughs> What's going through your mind in the, in the late second half, as opposed to I'll be just the field, I'll be everyone else in humanity. My, uh, so while I'm watching that Gonzaga UCLA game, I'm thinking Gonzaga's running the right plays. They're getting the good looks. Uh, the shots just aren't dropping. UCLA are hitting all these mid-range jumpers. They look like a, an unconscious NBA team, the way Juzang could find his spot on the floor and lock that in. I, you know, I was looking at some efficiency uh, ratings after the game, and based on the shot selection Gonzaga had in the game and the quality and ease of the looks that they were getting, they win that game 98 times out of 100. Again, I'm, uh, I think I'm quoting Ken Palm again, who I quote a lot because, again, he makes me appreciate nice. basketball in a way. Yeah. He makes me appreciate basketball in a nerdy kind of way that I couldn't just from, you know, excellent shooting and excellent dunks. Uh, what, what can I say? I'm, I'm a white kid from Canada. You know, I know about dumping the puck in and, uh, you know, playing two-way hockey, but that's about it in terms of a generic nuts and bolts. And Ken Palm helps me bridge that gap a little bit. But yeah, you know, what UCLA did in that run was incredible. That bank shot from Sug, you know, a lot of people were saying it was one of the best college basketball games of all time. Who am I to disagree? You know, I know, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, maybe Nova UNC for the championship a few years ago, uh, maybe Leitner versus Kentucky. For me, dollars donuts start to finish. That was incredible. And I think one thing that this tournament uh, often gets a little bit of grief on is that, yeah, a lot of these kids aren't NBA kids. And you see that in the execution the execution in that UCLA-Gonzaga game, what Baylor was able to do over the last two games, that was high-quality basketball. It wasn't just drama for drama's sake. It was excellent. You know, It was the peak of this sport and more than made up for the fact that we got robbed uh, of this last year. I want to give a shout-out to uh, my boy uh, Josh Lewin, uh, the play-by-play voice of the UCLA Bruins. Uh, he had an amazing call. And just as Gonzaga's shot goes in, uh, you just hear him deflated. <laughs> it's just, he, he wore it. He handled it perfectly, perfectly professional, but oh my God, he wore it on his sleeve. 
and it was truly remarkable. Uh, and I give a shout out uh, to Josh and uh, and the UCLA uh, radio crew because they I, I I heard that after the fact. We all saw the game, but we, we heard it. Um, one other note I wanted to ask you about the women's game. The women's tournament got very popular, and the ratings were very high. Over five million people watched it. Um, one of the points was made when the bubbles started. Uh, the bad conditions and there was all the talk about fairness and things like that. Another shout out to a, a, a good friend, Ryan Rucco called that for ESPN. Um, what an amazing, amazing game Stanford defeating Arizona on the last shot. almost went in. She was triple teamed. So stop talking about how she dropped the ball. Holy moly. She had eight people on her. Uh, what a great game, a, a, a remarkable, remarkable, entertaining game. And you're talking to somebody who doesn't, who likes basketball, doesn't love basketball. These were two back-to-back days, Saturday with Gonzaga UCLA. And then the women's final was amazing. Yeah. And uh, once again, uh, we saw that growth, not just in interest uh, of fans watching, but in players betting at Bavada as women's college, ba- college basketball was something that we needed to assign more than a couple people to each day watching, you know, the pregame action, the in-game action, the various player props that we had attached to it. And, you know, again, we were very lucky that uh, just like on the men's side, we were treated to a really, really good women's college basketball tournament. And, you know, nice to see a, a team like Stanford come out ahead. Nice to see a team like Arizona make that run. You know, for me, it's always kind of fun just when Connecticut doesn't win or traditionally uh, when Baylor women's hoops uh, doesn't win because they've been one of the better teams in recent years. Stanford ended up going off as a seven and a half point favorite in that championship game. So although Arizona didn't get the win, they did get the cover for those playing at home. Uh, the over-under was 127, sailed under, really good defense in that game, really good ending. Uh, you know, another thing that really bears well for people getting into this and becoming a fan of women's college basketball dur- during this time next year. And, you know, again, we've told, we've said this too many times to count stuff. If people are interested in it, we will throw more odds on it. We will raise those right. limits. Uh, we let the market dictate what and how we do things at Bavada. And, uh, you know, it was fun for us to give that amount of attention to women's college hoops this year. Well, and, and I'll use my analogy that I use for uh, two things in my life, two very things, big things that I'm passionate about, uh, the NHL and Prince. Watch it, look at it, either go to a game, watch it on TV, and then turn, look me in the eye and say it's awful. If you do, I'll never say it again. But my goodness, that was some entertainment. And like I said, I'm not a massive basketball fan. I, I you know, I, I would I would say it's the fourth sport, uh, you know, of my favorites, you know, not from a professional standpoint, but just of what I'm a favorite of. And I'm a Syracuse honk. That's that's all I am. Uh, but the reality of it is, is, you know, good, good theater and good entertainment when you see it and you had the best. It was it was remarkable. I thought the NCAA did a great job on the tournament. I thought that given the restrictions that they had and all the things going on, you had one cancellation, just one, uh, which was awful, but you had one. What was your overall take on just the whole way people bought into the NCAA and the the madness of the March Madness? Uh, you know what? I, I was thinking about early rounds, and uh, a lot of those are played in mostly empty gyms anyway, so that didn't really affect yeah, me too much. That's true. I, I think, uh, you know, you know yeah, that's you, a little known fact. You know, a lot of times these neutral site games, people don't travel for the early rounds. Yeah, you know, that 12 and the colleges 10, that host them, they don't care. 
Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a 12-10 game on a Thursday between a 2 and a 15. You're, you're not, you know, you're lucky to see a smattering of fans in a game like that anyway. So, you know what, that didn't really bother me so much. As the games progressed, uh, you know, it would have been nice to see some more fans. There. I was actually kind of curious to see how the quality of the games would progress once they got into uh, Lucas Oil Field. Because anecdotally, and again, it's such a small sample size because you're only playing a handful of games in these massive stadiums, but there has been this theory that uh, playing in such a massive space like that creates, uh, you know, yeah, it's hard hard to shoot, hard hard to shoot for a lot of these players and to really get their bearings. And in a college basketball game where you only have two 20 minute halves, you don't really have a lot of time to figure it out. You know, a long shot clock, you know, far fewer possessions than you would have in an NBA game. It's difficult to adjust. and, And boy, did Baylor, and UCLA and Gonzaga, you know, poor Houston, just one of the few teams that couldn't find their way at Lucas Oil Fieldhouse. But you know, I, I thought that was fascinating to see how comfortable uh, these players were. And you know what? I that's mo- that was actually more important to me than the fans going nuts. And that's a rare one because the games were really, really good. And I think that's what I'll take away more than anything else. Uh, you know, yeah, it got chalky towards the end. Chalky's okay if the teams are really, really good. And, you know, it, it comes along with storylines. You know, Baylor's got a good storyline. Gonzaga, unfortunately, has got a heartbreaking storyline that, you know, always a bridesmaid, never quite a bride. Uh, I, I thought the tournament delivered on a lot of levels. And then, of course, when it got to halftime, as I do with every sport, and what I certainly do with March Madness, I mute the TV and uh, go make something to eat because bringing in NBA guys to talk college basketball, I'm not going to learn too much from that, but that's okay. That was tradition years prior. So <laughs> nothing new this year. Uh, 100%. 100%. Uh, all right. Uh, now let's see what's next on the sports horizon. Uh, first of all, Sam Darnold was traded in the NFL to Carolina. So now that, you know, the, all the predictions on the jets and the draft and what's going to happen with the number two pick, the number three pick, that's all going to be. And it looks like quarterbacks are all going to be taken in the first round baseball opened. Although the nationals didn't, uh, they lost four games. Uh, they're going to make up one. Uh, that was kind of strange considering last year, remember one Soto tested positive on opening day and they said play on. So now I guess they smartened up, uh, in the second go around. And then you had 40,000 people at Texas's home stadium. And listen, if, if Texas is going to allow that, I'm not going to sit here and get on a political pulpit. The hypocrisy of the Texas Rangers is for game two. They had social distance guidelines. For game two, you had social distance guidelines, but for game one, you had a lot of money being made. That's why the Texas Rangers are hypocrites, not because they're not they're not observing what the CDC is asking. Yeah, that. So I didn't even notice that. I only noticed the first game, where uh, yeah, you, you saw pretty close to a packed house there, and and you're right, you do see that kind of drop off Major League Baseball where in a traditional year anyways, uh, that opening game of the season, the place is packed. And then, you know, attendance dwindles down uh, throughout the year, especially during the week at daytime game, which is fine. You know, baseball kind of is that nice and sleepy sport where you can kind of haphazardly pay attention to it. But I didn't realize that the Rangers uh, did social distancing in game two. Uh, it is it is a little bit bizarre to see uh, fans in stadium again in those kind of, uh, you know, gosh, we, we know we're nowhere cl- close to that in Canada right now. So uh, Blue Jays will... We talked about this last week. They will be uh, starting the year in Tampa or wherever else they'll be playing. In Dunedin. Uh, they're going to be playing in their spring training facility. Uh, Dunedin. Sorry, that's right. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, the Raptors who are still uh, playing in Tampa, not uh, the Blue Jays. 
Yeah, you have a team like the Mets uh, and Jacob deGrom, who, uh, again, just recently had a fantastic start, his first start of the year. Uh, he was 50-1 to to win Cy Young at Bavada before the season started, uh, considering his, you know, otherworldly stats that he puts up. And again, uh, he's had a, an ERA just over two in his last 50-plus starts. He's got a losing record with the Mets, which is, you know, it's classic for him. You know, he still showed a couple of years ago that he was able to win the Cy Young uh, despite having a losing record. Uh, but it is uh, a bit unfortunate that a team like the Mets can't play a bit better in front of them. But I guess the way, uh, you know, a, a team like, uh, I, I guess with a team like the Mets, uh, you know, some things never change and they're not going to get any, you know, meaningful amount of offense anytime soon. I will say that I am grateful to have baseball back playing traditional amount of games, traditional time of the year. You know, college basketball is over. This is where we are supposed to be transitioning into you know kind of a sleepy part of the year and baseball is part of that baseball is an ice break above that monday to friday where we're casually paying attention to these games and betting into them and live betting into them and betting you know the player props the futures and everything else attached to it so uh you know a couple games down uh, 160 or so to go and finally one nba question i had for you the brooklyn nets made this super team by acquiring you know james harden and they added blake griffin and none of them are in the lineup kevin durant's out kyrie irving misses time james Harden re-aggravated an injury from an odd standpoint who's the favorite to win the east uh, we still have the Nets as the favorite to win the east and we have the Nets as the favorite uh, overall to win the NBA championship you know I, I think uh, you know not just LeBron but LeBron has really set the path the last few years of you know so-called load bearing right? and Kawhi Leonard did the same thing in Toronto as well this idea that you know once you've got your chemistry figured out what your team is about okay, let's just get to the playoffs and worry about it then. I think if you're the Brooklyn Nets, you want to be talking about being healthy in the playoffs, not being healthy uh, in the first week of April, although those playoffs are creeping up on us sooner rather than later. So yeah, as a result, the Brooklyn Nets are currently even money favorites to win the East at Bavada, and they are plus 250 favorites, just slightly ahead of the Lakers at plus 330 right now at Bavada. It's uh, also a question about the super competitive West uh, because you have all these different teams that are, are qualifying and, you know, the Utah jazz are still a big force. The Clippers are a big force. Um, it's very interesting to see how the East has really separated itself. Philadelphia is still there. Boston's still there, but they've fallen on hard times. Whereas Milwaukee and the nets just seems like they're headed to a matchup. Yeah, Milwaukee is probably the most likely team to give the Nets a, a little bit of grief in the East this year. If any team were to give them any at all, the Bucks are currently at plus 850 to win the NBA Finals. The 76ers up at 13-1. Celtics have really seen their stock drop. Uh, last time we talked, they were closer to 20-1, to and they've dipped all the way down to 50-1 to to win the NBA Finals this year. So uh, again, everything's kind of lining up for the Nets to come to the East. Uh, with the West, it's same old, same old. Lakers are the cream of the crop, but they will be dealing with a much more bruising path to get to the NBA finals. And, you know, it's always this time of year. A lot of people say October is the best time of year. I love April because you have the start of the baseball season. You have the end of the college basketball season. Oh, and then there's the masters and the masters this time around uh, happening on time. Remember the masters just happened because they had delayed it last year. Uh, this time around, it's uh, regular. There'll be fans there. What, which, what say you on the Masters? 
Yeah, it's it's nice to have, uh, you know, and this is uh, Jim Nance's favorite transition move as well. Call the final four masters right around the corner, a tradition like no other. And uh, it, it's great that it's actually taking place when it's supposed to be taking place this year. Uh, looking at our masters odds board right now, we currently have Dustin Johnson as the nine to one favorite. Uh, the cool thing about betting masters, Seth, or really any golf tournament is that, you know, kind of like the Kentucky Derby, we have these futures odds up for so long in advance and you never know who's really going to be good a year out. And again, once this tournament is over this upcoming Sunday, we'll have odds for next year's masters posted on Monday. So there are a lot of opportunities for people to buy low, sell high, because you can cash out your bets at Pavada as well, based on the changing expectation of odds. And a good example is a guy like Jordan Spieth, who, you know, just won a tournament is playing, you know, some really good golf for the first time in about a year. He's now down to 11 to one at Pavada. And just a week ago, you could have got him as high as 50 to one to win the Masters. So, I mean, that ability to pay attention and pick your spots and uh, dip in and out of futures markets, you know, really uh, presents an opportunity for a lot of players to find value. I will say the other most popular golfers currently at Bovada right now in terms of just pure betting dollars, uh, Justin Thomas, 12 to one and uh, Brooks Kepka 22 to one and Colin Morikawa, 28 to one, your most bet on golfers for the Masters right now at Bovada. All right, so the Masters should be uh, fun. We'll recap that next week. We'll also get into some of the NHL stuff. We didn't even get a chance to do that as well. This is the Bavada at Odds podcast. Patrick, have a great week. Yeah, I got to go clean the shower now. That's what I got for losing the bracket pool. That's <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Morrow. I'm Seth Everett. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for <laughs> listening, and we'll see you next time.